Welcome to Inside the Castle, the podcast that goes behind castle doors to have real conversations with real people about solving the nation's toughest challenges. Today we're going to be talking about the temporary housing mission and the critical public facilities mission. Uh, And these are two missions that the Corps of Engineers can perform in support of FEMA under the Stafford Act and the National Response Framework. And we'll get to all of those terms later, but basically it's two of the missions that FEMA might ask us to perform after a disaster. So we have with us today Tony Hill and Chris Klein. So Tony, what do you do for the Corps? All right, I'm Tony Hill, and I'm one of the five ESF3 permanent cadre members with headquarters, and part of my portfolio is the Critical Public Facilities and Temporary Housing Program. Okay, great. And again, ESF3, we'll probably use some acronyms. We're going to try not to, but ESF3 for shorthand is Emergency Support Function 3, one of the emergency support functions under FEMA, for which USACE is the primary coordinating agency. So, Chris, what do you do for the Corps? I'm the Corps of Engineers Temporary Housing Program Manager. I manage the program for the Corps. I've got five housing teams that I'm responsible to make sure are ready to deploy and execute a mission. Okay, so we've kind of danced around, you know, that this is a two missions that we do in support of FEMA after disasters. But let's start with temporary housing. Can you just kind of take us through the mission in a nutshell? What is the temporary housing mission? Temporary housing is a program that that we execute under FEMA's authority. It's a program where after an event, someone who's lost their home or it has become uninhabitable, FEMA will provide them a place to stay while they repair their own home. That's That's an important thing to say because FEMA doesn't repair the homes. They provide a place for people to stay while they repair their own home and work through their insurance issues. Okay. And and that can look like a lot of different things, right? I mean, there's no one way to temporary house, for lack of a better term. FEMA has a lot of tools in their toolbox. They can shelter with hotel rooms. They can use apartments and any other option that's out there that's on the table, especially in in a situation where housing stock is at a minimum or at a low. The main thing that the Corps of Engineers does for FEMA is we help them install units on wheels. And what that means is it's a mobile home or a travel trailer. We can put them in existing mobile home parks. We can put them on people's properties in their front yards, their backyards. Or the other program is we can design and construct mobile home parks. And the mobile home parks is the very last option because it's most expensive. And we try and stay away from those. But in some disasters, it's just, it's just an option we have to take. Yeah, no, that's a great distinction. And I think not only are the mobile home parks or the group sites one of the last options, I think anytime we get to the core, it's sort of a last option for FEMA. They they might have gone through all of the other things. Is is that correct? Am I understanding that right? Yeah, that's correct. And and usually the getting a home for a homeowner is that last resort. They can go through, Chris mentioned a number of other options, the hotels. Uh, a lot of people end up with their families, friends and families, and don't need that option but as a last resort, we do provide homes or FEMA will provide homes, either a mobile home or travel trailer for those on their property or on a group site. Okay. And just to clarify, this is something, I mean, it's not like we go out there after any disaster and just start handing out mobile homes, right? There's a process involved. Right. It's a very lengthy process and it's part of FEMA's individual assistance program, which is different from what normally we work in as public assistance. So this is individual assistance to that homeowner, to that survivor, and they go through a vetting process with FEMA and looking at things like insurance, looking at other resources that they may or may not have. And you'll go through a process and ends up getting a list of survivors that are eligible for these temporary homes. 
Okay, so Chris, you were mentioning kind of three different avenues that the Corps could go through under temporary housing. It sounds like those are sort of three maybe mission subsets. So maybe can you kind of outline and differentiate between those three? Well, looking at what we do today versus what we've done in the past, FEMA now has their own contract involved where they'll use that for haul and install. They'll ask us to provide technical monitors to watch the contractor install to make sure he doesn't cut corners. Then we will go through what we call an RFO, Request for Occupancy, process where we go in and we check all the critical utilities in the unit, make sure everything is working properly. Then we'll certify to FEMA that somebody is ready to move in. And then FEMA will take over and that's their process. Okay. And so haul and install, you know, we use that kind of term sort of loosely because we understand what it means. And and I don't think I even had a really good uh, appreciation or understanding of it until I w- actually went out in Louisiana in 2016 after the Baton Rouge flooding. We had a large mission there. And haul and install literally means there is a big pad of mobile homes and the contractor or the core or whoever is actually hauling those those mobile homes, taking them to private sites and installing them on people's homes. Do I have that right? Well, Nadia, it starts with a request for inspection on our part where FEMA issues us a piece of paper with somebody's name on it. We make an appointment. We go measure their yard to see where we could put the unit, look at utility connections. Then that report is written up. It's kind of like a mini contract. It's got a a sketch attached to it and a scope of work, anything the contractor needs to do the install. That goes to FEMA. FEMA generates a work order to the contractor, and we get a copy of that, and the contractor goes to that staging area, picks up that unit, takes it to the property, starts to install it, and then our technical monitors work with him to make sure it's done properly. Okay. No, thanks, Chris. That's a great explanation. And, um, you know, it's a really cool operation to see in person because it is at once, you know, very broad and providing support to a ton of people. And then at the same time, it is so very individualistic, right? I mean, you are interacting with actual homeowners, with survivors, you know, and it's, it's a really touching thing, I think. It's probably the most rewarding part of the job to get out in the field and actually interact with the survivors. They all have a story to tell. And part of our job is not just the engineering side of it, but to interact with that survivor, listen to their story and talk to them. In a lot of cases, they need to talk. Yeah, absolutely. So that was one mission subset, right? The technical assistance, the technical monitoring that we provide for FEMA's own inherent contract capability. So what, what is the second one? Second one is group site design and construction. FEMA has that capability in their contract, but often they prefer to use us. So there's three sides to a group site mission, three phases. There's land assessment where we go out and assess the feasibility of the land, look at the availability of utilities and connection points. The second is design, and the third is construction. This is the most expensive option out there, so it's, it's FEMA's last resort. But that's another thing that we can do. And and what we do is we provide the engineering side of it. But if you look at the big picture and what it takes to build a group site, every stakeholder in the process is about 26 steps has to go through their process. And each stakeholder has an abbreviated process. And so even though everyone's working their abbreviated process, it still takes a long time to get to construction. And it makes the construction side look like the easy part. It's, it's the short pole in the tent when we get to 60 days to build a group site, when it's taken us 90 days to get to approval. Yeah, and that's a great point. And I want to come back to that later in our discussion, you know, just that length of the mission, because I think there's a lot of things that are misunderstood about what it takes to get to construction. 
But before we get there, what's that third mission subset? Because I know you said we had three kind of buckets of things we could do. Yeah. The third is, is we can be tasked to haul and install, in which case we would go out and get contractors through our contracting system, and we would award contracts, and FEMA would issue us the work orders. We would issue those to our contractor. They would haul and install. These days, FEMA prefers to use their contractor for that operation, and, and we're glad to assist with our technical monitoring program. Okay. So that was an excellent overview of kind of the, the different flavors of temporary housing support we can provide to FEMA. But what about critical public facilities? Because I know these used to be one kind of lumped together mission, but now they are two missions. So what's the difference? Critical public facilities, where, where housing is individual assistance, critical public facilities is a public assistance mission. And whereas housing is 100% federal, CPF tends to be 25%, 75% cost shared. Critical public facilities is assistance to local governments that have been affected by an event. It can become in the form of office operating space or medical clinics, the shell where other agencies actually install the medical equipment, police stations, fire stations. Our biggest one is schools, temporary schools, temporary units outside the schools while they repair their school system. All right. Thanks, Chris. So, you know, I know those are there are two separate missions, but it sounds like there's a lot of overlapping design work. So, Tony, I was wondering if you could take us through kind of what it actually takes on the engineer side without getting too engineery, right, <laughs> about how we get from A to B. What actually goes into that? Right. So just like with the housing mission, with the group site design, you've got to determine the need. So determine what it is, what facility's been damaged, and then find the location to put that facility, to put that temporary site. It may be a school playground if it's a school and they've got open space to bring in mobile homes or mobile classroom units or temporary classroom units. Or it could be a, a fire station has been damaged. You've got to put up a temporary structure so their apparatus can have a place to go. So you first have to determine the need. You determine the location where that facility is going to be and then the type of facility, temporary facility that's going to be constructed. And then that typical design, engineering construction design that the Corps has done for you know, a variety of applications comes into play where we use our civil, our electrical, our mechanicals, you know, whoever, to actually design and construct those temporary facilities. Okay, that's, I think, a great segue because you rattle those things off so quickly and easily, but that is a ton of work. And I think one of the things that we've been hearing over recent years in some of our more recent missions, which we'll get to in a second, is that people are... They don't really understand, well, the hurricane, you know, made landfall on this day, and here we are eight months later, still on the ground performing this mission. I was wondering if you guys could walk us through what those steps actually look like. I know there are a ton of them, because I think there's a lot of things people don't understand. We're not just, you know, working with FEMA. We're working with a ton of different stakeholders. Yeah, Nadia, we have to work within the law, basically, and we have to make sure that we're not hurting the environment. We have to do stakeholder notification, historical preservation. The tribes have to be notified and consulted with. Even GSA working through lease, they're working through an abbreviated process where they get to two weeks rather than six weeks. Our abbreviated process for contracting, we, our abbreviated process is we take a 120-day process to award a contract and grind it down into 19 days. So everybody, every stakeholder in the process to deliver temporary housing or critical public facilities is using their abbreviated process. It's all in a line. It all adds up, and eventually it takes a long time. 
the FCO asked me, asked us to come up with a plan to deliver housing faster recently on a mission. And I said, basically, let me violate the law and we can do it, but we can't do that. Yeah. And to to be clear, Chris is, it was being facetious. Obviously, we are not going to violate the law. But it goes to show that there are constraints. And it's important to understand that we're moving as fast as we can, but things still have to be done properly. And like Chris said, it adds up. And um, one more clarifier. Chris, you said the FCO asked you recently. Just for folks who don't do this every day, what's an FCO? FCO is a federal coordinating officer. He is the person or she that has the president's authority to run the mission. Tony, do you want to clarify that? Yeah, basically he or she is charged by the president to run the disaster. That person is in charge of FEMA or of the federal response. They are coordinating with a state coordinating officer also. So those two are joined at the hip and uh, providing resources, providing support to the survivors of those communities. Okay. And, you know, I think it's such a great example you bring up because we're all trying to do things better, faster, you know, less costly, because in the end, it is all about the survivors. It's about getting people back on their feet, getting communities back up and running, but they're just our constraints. And we're all working exceedingly fast, but processes do have to be followed. So on that note, let's go over some recent missions, because uh, honestly, I'm so thrilled to even see you, Chris. You've been gone for so long. You're like a roving nomad. You know, you've been deployed here, there and everywhere. I know we've had a ton of recent missions. Can you walk us through some of them? In 2018, there was the California fires, and we actually constructed three group sites or mobile home parks where we housed people. FEMA's contractor constructed one. For Hurricane Laura, we had about a 1,200-unit mission. We mostly um, installed units in commercial parks, existing mobile home parks, and on people's properties. We did some design work, but we never constructed anything. Our main focus there was the technical monitoring support to FEMA. Right now, we're engaged in Hurricane Ida in Louisiana, and we're looking at probably 4,500 families where their homes are uninhabitable and they need some sort of housing. There's a limited number of commercial parks, commercial sites, so we're currently looking at needing to build mobile home parks for 2,400 families. We currently have one park constructed, three in construction, and probably eight more coming. Okay. And y'all were in Oregon, too, for the wildfires in 2020 or 2021. Is that right? It was 2020. It was a small mission where they elected to remediate some of the burn sites in order to make the sites more habitable. So it took a little bit more time. It was a smaller mission, but there was a lot of effort going on. Okay, so you guys have been so busy. You have enduring missions that are even still currently ongoing. And here we are again, looking at another hurricane season coming rapidly upon us. So what are some of the things that you're doing to look ahead and get ready for the upcoming season? Well, training is one. We've got a a good training package in place online for anyone that would like to take it or needs to take it. We always have turnover on our teams. So that's something we look at. Our target to be ready and green, ready to go, is June 1st. So at the strategic level, FEMA is involved with reimagining temporary housing and reimagining what they call direct housing missions. So we're involved with that even at a longer-term outlook of what could this mission look like differently to follow on what Chris said about the FCO saying, how can we shorten this? Well, what are some ways that this can be shortened? What are some of the things that the states can do or that the federal government can do to help the states that can incentivize the states to do some of this work on their own? 
what can be done to build resiliency in the housing stock in the future? Some of those bigger strategic questions we're fortunately we're being pulled into with FEMA. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's really an encouraging and and kind of inspiring time because. I, for one, am excited to see what this looks like in the future as we have the federal family and, you know, many of our different other federal agencies looking at different solutions, you know, how we can not only innovate, but how we can deliver better, faster, less costly, and in the end, taking care of the American people, which is what we're really here to do. All right. So that was an excellent overview. Thank you, Tony. Thank you, Chris, for joining us today on this edition of Inside the Castle. We appreciate you and your insights. And to our listeners, we want to hear from you, what topics are important to you and people you're interested in hearing from. Until next time, be safe, be innovative, and be revolutionary. Be revolutionary.